If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Before I introduce you to today's guest, I have something important to ask you. Do you want to find ways to bring your message to the world? Do you want to find the right audiences hungry for your information to drive your work and grow your visibility, recognition, and reputation as an expert author or entrepreneur? Do you want to find venues, events, and organizations for speaking gigs to share your message? If you're passionate about your message but struggle with sales, marketing, and promotion, and you're willing to work hard, as long as you have some guidance to make sure that you're working smarter, then we need to talk. Send me an email at info at bookmarketingmentors.com with, I'm interested in speaking in the subject, and we can set up a convenient time to chat more about this. Now let's get back to the show. Today, my special guest is a business coach for professional speakers. Jane Atkinson has been helping speakers catapult their careers for nearly 30 years. She's the author of The Wealthy Speaker 2.0 and The Epic Keynote. Prior to coaching, Jane worked as an agent for several speakers whose careers skyrocketed. She's also served as vice president of a speakers bureau in Dallas, where she represented several celebrities best-selling authors, and business experts. Jane's Wealthy Speaker University offers online courses, masterminds, and private coaching programs for speakers of all levels, helping them position themselves to gain those much sought-after high fees. Jane, what an absolute pleasure it is to welcome you to the show, and thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Susan, I am thrilled to be here with you. It's so wonderful. We've known each other sort of from a distance from Mm -hmm. National Speakers Association. (laughs) It's really a great honor to have you here. Jane, speaking, let's just talk about the idea of why you feel it's important for authors to add speaking as part of their book marketing strategy. Well, I don't know that everybody wants to necessarily speak, but I do know that it's a really great way to sell books. I know that in order to move books quickly, gaining the trust of an audience and talking them through some of the points in your book and the stories, that is going to endear them to you. And of course, you know this, Susan, because you've been doing this a long time, Once you have finished, people want to take a piece of you home, and that is where either you're selling back of the room or perhaps they pre-purchase the books to have them in the hands of everyone. And I just don't know, you know, 500 people at a time is much easier than one book at one bookstore at a time. 
Absolutely. Selling those books in bulk. I love it. <laughs> Who I loves love it. bulk? I do, I do. <laughs> exactly. What about actually getting started? The idea of should we be talking for free? Should we be looking straight away for paid engagements? What's the process for getting started? Well, I think a lot of people start out talking for free. We call it the rubber chicken circuit because they used to serve really bad chicken at lunch in the hotels back then. In going out and really just getting your name out there and allowing people to see you do your thing. And the goal is that every speech that you gave for free would lead to some paid engagement if that was your main approach. Some people will go out just to sell books. And if you can book into some of the larger audiences, you know, for instance, the direct selling companies, I think they take claim or lay claim for the success of the Robert Kiyosaki books. You know, he would have gone out into one of the direct selling companies. I'm not sure which one it was. And there would have been 10 or 20,000 people in the audience and boom, now his book is a bestseller and people are lining up for hours to get his autograph. So that's kind of the extreme one end of things, but it could be that you're just going out to your local Rotary or Chamber of Commerce or an association that you've identified would be a good target for your book and speaking to them for free in order to kind of get the rhythm of speaking and start to practice. And that's so important, that idea of practicing. I know that I did training for Fred Pryor for years. And, you know, it was like from one city to the next city to the next city. And I mean, it was really boot camp for the professional speaker. Really? We think of you guys as road warriors. Anybody who comes to me as a client who has been through that type of a situation I know that they could basically get up and speak on anything any day of the week and be great. Yeah, no audience scares me. You know, I have people, <laughs> who, meeting planners who come to me and said, oh, my audience are all scientists and they're very analytical and, you know, they're very tough to deal with. I said, bring it on. I can deal with those people. <laughs> Not a I mean, I'm married to one like that. So, I, you know, I know how to handle <laughs> You deal with that on a daily basis. Exactly. In terms of getting paid, let's go from free to getting paid. Okay. How do we even think about getting paid? And then what do we charge? I mean, I get questions all the time. What should I charge? Well, there's several pieces to that puzzle. There are people who will come out of a big job, you know, maybe they're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and they'll start out charging $10,000. But most people need to kind of work their way towards that. And so I've said in the Wealthy Speaker 2.0 that, you know, kind of $1,500 is when you are kind of in the game. And that number is just a number. You may decide that you want to start out charging $500. It's your business. It's whatever you feel comfortable with asking coming out of the chute. But what I do know, Susan, is that the bigger the problem you help to solve in your speech, the more that you can charge. Someone who is a leadership expert may come out of the shoot at $7,500 or $5,000, whereas someone who 
where we find people have a little bit more difficult time getting booked is on the soft skill side of things or in terms of the bigger fees, I should say. Maybe it's a wellness talk. Well, people might relegate that to a lunch and learn where they pay $2,500 for that versus $7,500 for the keynote for a leadership talk. Does that make sense? It certainly does. You said something that's really very important is you've got to feel comfortable. If you can't get that figure out of your mouth, (laughs) nobody's going to pay you. Exactly. We call it standing tall in your fees and the first sale is to yourself. I think Alan Weiss says that. You really need to believe that you have the value. And we've kind of started, there's a process that might be helpful early on in this. We have this process called Ready, Aim, Fire. And in the ready stage, we get crystal clear on what we're selling. We pick a lane and we really start to determine who our perfect market is for that lane and what problem we're going to solve. And then we go into AIM and we develop out the website and the marketing materials and then we fire. We start rolling out to our target markets. Well, that ready phase, getting really crystal clear on what value you're bringing to the table, that is essential before you decide how much you're going to charge. Very much so. I know that that value piece is critical. And also, as you said, the audience, are they soft skills that you're teaching versus ones that people are clamoring for, the leadership, the sales, they really want those. How about places to speak? You talked about Rotary, and I know Rotary very well since I've just stepped down from being president of our local Rotary Club. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) That's awesome. Yes. Now I'm past president. I really like that title. You're probably happy about that, right? (laughs) Very happy. But I book a lot of speakers, and I'm always looking for good local speakers. Mm -hmm. And so, as you said, that's a good place to start for free. But where do you go after that? Well, we often start with associations because the associations house all the companies. You know, if you were to call up IBM and say, hey, do you guys have any meetings? You're going to find that, well, yeah, we've got lots going on all the time in lots of these different divisions. It's very difficult to pinpoint what's actually happening under the roof of a company in terms of meetings. You can go online and see any given association and when their annual conferences or when their regional events are. And sometimes it may be that there's an event that's happening right in your backyard at the local level where you can start and um, then work your way up to state and work your way up to national. So we tend to steer people towards associations that house the type of people you want to get in front of. So if you have you know, something about rapport building and it's very specific to left brain thinkers, you might say, okay, I'm going to target all of the accountants associations or project managers or lawyers or whatever it might be. And that may be where you start with those associations. That's just a a good, easy place to get going. And then you go out and you speak to those groups. Well, now There are 50 people from 50 different companies there, and that can lead you into your corporate work. Let's talk about the difference between speaking and training. Is it easier to start 
with the training versus the speaking? What's your feeling on that? I think you will agree, having been a road warrior, that workshops are often kind of like the easier starting point because getting the big stage with 500,000, 2,000, 3,000 people, it's kind of like a you progress towards that on your way up the, you know, most people don't land on a stage with 20,000 people in front of them right out of the chute. And so a lot of times they'll start by doing workshops and then work their way into keynotes. Would you agree with that? Is that how you did your business? I did. And I've actually not necessarily, I'd never call myself a keynote speaker because I much prefer the workshop environment, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. I do too, because it's really interactive. You can have a lot of fun and you really feel like you're rolling up your sleeves and getting things done. So that's my personal preference as well. But there are people out there who really covet the big stage and they have the right content for the big stage. Uh, Keynote is different in that you're telling stories and you don't necessarily have 10 key ideas. You might have three key ideas in a keynote. So it's a higher level version, kind of like at the 10,000 foot level of the topic rather than a drilled down tons of bullet point type of learning workshop. And you could possibly offer the two to a client. If you get the main stage, you could then offer to do a breakout session as an add-on. Brilliant. And it's a great way to move your fee from, say, a keynote fee to a full day fee as well. And somebody who's charging $7,500 for a keynote might then add on a little bit, make it $10,000 for a full day. And that's a really nice way to also, the relationship gets built even better with the client and the, the results in terms of spinoff, what comes later in terms of more business is that ratio goes up the more time you spend with the client. So something that I know is very important is obviously getting the money <laughs> that you mm-hmm. earn. Yes. What rules of thumb do you have with regard to actually getting paid? Do you mean like in the contract, we get 50% down, that type of thing? Okay, so we have a um, just kind of a standard in our industry that the majority of people will ask for 50%, and that is a deposit to hold your date. That means that you will not sell that date to somebody else, and until you actually have that money in hand, the date is still just held. It doesn't really mean anything without the deposit on it. And then the final amount, the second 50% will come on the day of. And so we just do a simple little contract up that allows people to see what would happen and what would happen if they should cancel that type of thing. I personally don't get into really complex agreements because I believe that most of the business we do is based on a handshake. And even when I was with the Speakers Bureau, You know, I was there for 9-11 when a lot of engagements up and left the calendar. We rebooked them all. It took some time, but uh, we just would work with a client to try to make it work for everybody if they did indeed have to cancel because of something catastrophic. Yes. And I mean, I think every speaker is just part of the business. You're going to get burned at some point. 
but you want to avoid it as much as possible. Exactly. Let's just hope that everybody is good and goes by their word. And just in case we have this nice little agreement and that 50% down tells us that you're serious. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm like you until I, you know, I have some money in the bank that says, yes, we're serious about hiring you. Then right. it, it isn't a deal. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier about your books and the opportunity to sell quantities of books. Mm. Now, talk to us about how that would, you know, manifest. Do we bring them with us? Do we pre-sell them? What's the situation there? Well, let's talk about best case scenario. Okay, so back to the contract and the 50% down. We send out an agreement, but we also send a book and a little note that says something about quantity discounts or volume pricing. And that way we're planting the seed very early in the conversation about putting a book in everybody's hand. And there's some great questions that you can ask. One of the great questions, let's say you get on the phone with the client and you're just kind of talking through what your presentation will be like and gathering some information from the client you might ask them, well, how long would you like this message to last? Well, of course, they're going to say as long as possible. And so that's when you can come back with the idea of, well, why don't we put a book in everybody's hand? Is there a budget for that? And oftentimes they do have, you know, they call them turn down gifts or takeaway gifts for the attendees. And sometimes you'll even put a sticker, a nameplate that has their the company name generously donated by or something like that. So the goal is you put a book in every hand. There are conference chairs now that actually have a place for books, which I think is super cool. And you can say, everybody reach down. We've got a lovely gift for you. Make somebody the hero. And then whoever thanks you can say, oh, Susan will be right outside the door for an autograph session after the fact. Rather than a book signing, it's an autograph session. And that just kind of raises the level. We use language that just kind of raises the level of celebrity a little bit. And then you have a nice lineup of people waiting to talk to you and get your autograph on the book that they got for free. How beautiful is that? And you probably added a few thousand dollars onto the bill. I like it. (laughs) It's a beautiful scenario. Or (laughs) you could sell back of the room and ideally there's a volunteer or somebody who's helping you and you can be at the end of the table doing the same thing, signing the books and people will have purchased them. That can also add some, especially if you're going out and speaking for free. We really want to make sure that you have some books there with you so that you can make, you know, at least several hundred dollars, if not several thousand off of books. And then even bundle them, maybe put two or three or four together and give them a discounted price for them. That's right. And we have packages even when I go out and speak, it will typically be there's, you know, one book for $20, but then there's this package and that even includes you know, a coaching session plus all of the products that I have there that day. So the more products you can bundle into it, the better. And then, as you said, give them a special for that day only. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Once in a lifetime (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) opportunity. (laughs) 
not to be missed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jane, our, our listeners love to hear about mistakes. And I know that there are a few mistakes that we could make in this environment. Give us, uh, you know, one or two of them we should be aware of. I think I've got a good one for you. The idea that you have to be all things to all people. As a former road warrior, you probably know that you could have spoken on 25 different topics easy. Well, picking a lane and really identifying what you want to be known for and hopefully supporting your book with that idea, that is the goal. I know it's a little bit different perhaps in the fiction writer's world because they write books on lots of different things, but I think hopefully for nonfiction, people are tending to write in the same genre so that they can become known for one thing and kind of be the expert on that topic. In speaking, it's probably more important than it is in writing. Yes, I would agree with that. And you always can see a, a newbie speaker who, oh, yes, I'll do tide management. Oh, yes, I'll do customer service. <laughs> I'll speak about. That's called, I can do that speaking. <laughs> And it doesn't necessarily serve you long term because then you become known for a lot of things and not one thing. And the goal is that when somebody gets your book or hears about you, it's like, oh, yes, they're the expert on that. Let's get them. And you're the one who rises to the top of the pack when it comes to choosing a speaker. Which is a great segue into telling us more about your wealthy speaker, uh, university, and what that offers. Well, you know, we actually have something new on the horizon, and it's called the Wealthy Speaker School. And it's going to house all of our work. We've been doing lots of things over the years, coaching groups of people, coaching one-on-one. And uh, we're kind of bringing it all under one roof in a new thing called the Wealthy Speaker School. And I apologize, I said university uh, incorrectly in that uh, intro that we gave you. My bad. So I'm really excited about that. And we have a a lot of products. The Wealthy Speaker 2.0 book is probably the thing that if anybody was really interested would be the place for them to start. And we can be found at speakerlauncher.com. Excellent. And I'll put all that in the show notes if somebody's listening to this in the car and can't write that down. Sure. So that will all be in there and then a link to the books, The Wealthy Speaker 2.0 and then the Epic Keynote, which I know are very useful resources for our listeners. And if you could leave our listeners with a golden nugget, Jane, what would that be? I think whether you want to get paid or don't want to get paid for speaking, just want to sell books. I think regardless, one of the things that you might put some time and energy into on the front end is really getting good on the platform. I think it's a great use of time and resources to really learn the craft of speaking and the storytelling that goes behind it so that When you do leave the stage, whether you're there to sell books or get paid, you feel really, really great about your presentation and the value that you've offered to people. I think that's a really good use of somebody's time. Very much so. And that value and 
as you said earlier, leaving your book behind because that adds value. And I think people almost feel cheated if you don't have something to sell them. (laughs) Exactly. They want to take a piece of you home. They really do. And so your audience will already have that part developed, which is brilliant. Excellent. Jane, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparked some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com and we'll see you again next week. Hi, it's Susan again with the seventh and final secret in our seven secret buying motivators. Secret number seven is the need for love. They say that sex sells and they're right. The drive for love, sex and passion in one's life motivates almost everyone at some point in their life. This sex drive is one of the strongest urges mankind experiences. In fact, It's one of the primary needs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. For a long time, people believed that appealing to the need for love, sex, and passion meant creating ads with scantily clad people looking longingly at each other, preferably on a dark and stormy night, with dramatic clouds rolling overhead and a red sports car in the driveway. Well, savvy business owners know that it's critical to expand beyond the visual trappings of love, sex, and romance to really connect to their customers on an emotional level. When you are appealing to the demographic motivated by the need for love and sex, what you're really selling is hope. The premise is this. If you have the right product or service, then you can have the love of your dreams. Of course, you can't beat people over the head with this message. Instead, if you're positioning yourself to appeal to this demographic, you need to master suggestive selling techniques. These customers want to know that someday the dream can come true for them. Hope is the driving force behind services such as eHarmony, perhaps the world's best-known online dating service. Many companies have applied target marketing concepts to the online dating model, resulting in a plethora of specialty sites. JDate caters for those seeking a Jewish partner, Career Cupid helps unite Korean couples, and Country Match will help someone lasso the cowboy or cowgirl of their dreams. Everybody needs love. Both men and women are motivated by the need for love, sex, and passion. Many people assume that it is only women who want romance, but that's simply not true. Everyone wants to connect with someone, to be special, to be desired by someone, and to find their true love. 
tapping into this universal desire, finding a unique and compelling way to package your products and services in a way that best appeals to this group's motivation is a highly desirable recipe for success. Now that you have all seven buying motivators, how are you going to use this powerful information to help influence and persuade your customers to buy? As a reminder, here are all the seven secret buying motivators. Secret number one, the need to trust and belong. Secret number two, the need for excitement and fun. Secret number three, the need for easy. Secret number four, the need for importance. Secret number five, the need to nurture. Secret number six, the need for self-improvement. And secret number seven, the need for love. In a nutshell, here are four of the most important takeaways from this special report. Number one, buying motivators influence decisions people make, whatever they buy. Number two, buying motivators are the needs that influence customers' purchasing decisions. Number three, take time to understand what makes your customers tick. And number four, when you grasp what drives your customers' decision-making, you can better position your products and services to appeal to their wants and needs. If you'd like a copy of this special report, Seven Secret Buying Motivators That Drive Your Customers to the Buy Button, email me at susan at avivapubs.com. Susan at avivapubs.com. This is Susan Friedman signing off. And until next time, K-E-M-M, keep exercising your marketing muscle. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.